Welcome back into the great Scott show ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports joining me now here on the great Scott show as he does every year during Super Bowl week, our friend, former Ragin' Cajun, a Louisiana Ragin' Cajun Hall of Famer, a two-time Super Bowl champion, played a decade and a half in the NFL. And uh, now I can say he's just like me because he works in radio. Or I could say I'm just like him. I'm just like Brandon Stokely, our guest right now, minus the Super Bowl rings and the Hall of Fame stuff. Good morning, Brandon, man. uh, How's life? How's the family doing? Everything is great. I appreciate you having me, Uh, Scott. look forward to this uh, every year. Reminiscing about uh, you know the good old days, and uh, uh, so looking forward to it. I feel like I have to bring you on every year just so you can, you know, get nostalgic about being on an offense that was carried by like the greatest defense ever, but still getting that first touchdown in the Super Bowl, going on Craig Kilborn, like all of it, like that. You're in your early twenties, man. That that's here's the question this year. How much of that do you think you don't remember? Like, because Super Bowl week is crazy. It's so busy. How much of everything that happened before and after that game do you think you've just forgotten? Oh, I'm sure quite a bit. Um, you know, you, you remember the big things. You know, remember, obviously, the, the, the touchdown, the, that play. Um, you, you know, some of a few things leading up to the game. I'd gotten sick that week, um, so wasn't feeling good early in the week. And uh, was just kind of hunkered down and, uh, you know, because you, we went from, from cold in Baltimore to hot and warm in, in, in Tampa. And, man, I just, my body felt so good. And that first day of practice, I was just flying around and felt great. And I think I got dehydrated. So I was down for like a day and a half there. And, um, but I remember the big things. You know, the big things um, are what stick with me, and that's what's important to me. And, you know, the after party. Um, uh, you know, that's kind of my favorite memory, just being able to just sitting at the, the round table that we had in the, in the big tent right outside of our hotel. And, you know, my grandfather's on one side, my dad's on the other side. I got my sisters there. Uh, just really, really cool being able to just sit back and like, Oh my goodness, we just won the Super Bowl, And I got so many people that meant so much to me, um, and that supported me and helped me along the journey. Um, they are celebrating with me. That's awesome. The, the the play call in the huddle, what was the play call, and were you the first option on the touchdown that you, you caught from Dilfer in Super Bowl, what was it, 35? No, I mean, I definitely, I was never the first option. Um, I think I was probably like the fourth or fifth option, maybe the, you know, sixth option behind Dilfer running the football. Um, so it, it was the double, it was called double pump, and the two outside receivers, uh, it's two by two, so you have two people on the left, you have Chandler Sharp, tight end wide receiver left you had me on the right slot and then you had a receiver outside of me and outside guys run uh comebacks like 18 yard comebacks uh, if they play cover two they convert it to go routes and then the two inside guys me and shannon sharp have middle of the field reads and if they they play split coverage which means um, like cover two uh you kind of bend it into the middle if they play a single high safety you just kind of take it uh, up the seam and um it was actually a coverage that uh, my receiver coach had. We had gone over. We had seen it on film. They had done this uh, coverage before, and where they just double the two inside guys. So it had been they had been doubling me and doubling Shannon Sharp, and they would have been leaving the outside guys singled up. And I knew what it was. I saw it, and um, you know I felt prepared for it. And I knew that 
you know, my receiver coach said, hey, you got to beat one guy. When they show you this coverage, you beat one guy, and it's a quarterback's job to beat the other guy. So Seahorn was on outside leverage, so I said, I need to beat this guy. And, you know, if if, if Trent decides to throw it to me, he, he's going to have to beat the other safety that's going to be coming over. And I kind of uh, hit Jason Seahorn with like a little stutter, kind of like I was running a five-yard out, a little option route. And then I, you know, accelerated up the seam. And lo and behold, the safety that was supposed to be helping him out actually went and would like triple covered Shannon Sharp, which was probably the smart idea um, because he was like our main passing weapon. And so they kind of had three guys on Shannon Sharp and poor Seahorn. They left him on an island when he thought he was getting help. And I just took it up the seam and, and Dilfer found me and uh, made a great throw, obviously. It was perfect throw. And, uh, you know, I, I caught it just short of the end zone and um, when I got tackled and I looked up and I was in the end zone, I just couldn't just couldn't believe that I actually scored a touchdown. Brandon Stokely, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. There it was, the first of many in that game for Baltimore, who uh, went on and won in a route. The slot receiver position, you know, um, you made a you made a good living there, Brandon, and you did a lot of damage in there. And I'm looking at a guy like Cooper Cup this year, who played about 74 percent of his snaps in the slot and. I often ask, like, former running backs, like, how much has that position evolved or been devalued? Or I, I ask guys at different positions how much it's changed from, from when they played. What was the, the, the slot receiver position like back when you played? Is it comparable to today? Like, is that a position that hasn't evolved all that much in terms of how offenses utilize it? Or is it drastically different from when you played? No, I mean, it's so different. Um, just how they use the third receiver, the slot receiver, um, you know, when I first got in the NFL, you know, you're still looking at a, a lot of fullbacks um, and two tight end sets. You didn't, you know, you, you didn't see many teams going three wide uh, 70, 80 percent of the time. And, and sometimes you see it now uh, 90, 95 percent of the time. And you, you just didn't see that. You didn't see the passing game the way that it, it has evolved now. And so, you know, I came in the NFL. I was just an outside receiver. And sometimes they would move me inside. Uh, but predominantly just played outside. There wasn't really a role where, man, this guy's really just a slot receiver. Um, and then it kind of evolved when I got to Indy, and I went there and I was an outside receiver. Well, it turned out that we had two really good outside receivers in Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. And so they just kind of put me in the slot, and then, you know, I just stayed there. And we started to, um, you know, use three wides as one of our base packages and you know some games I'd play every play some games I'd play 15 plays but um, I think with Indy there we you know the way that we were used able to use the passing game and you know the 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 stress that it puts on a defense if you got a good slot receiver um, and when you're able to go three wides what, what do they do with that guy you know do they, they out on the field or they take that linebacker out and put a you know a, a cornerback out there or they try to play you with the safety so it puts a lot of stress on the defense and and then you've constantly you've seen just the passing game as a whole how it's evolved over the years and how it's just become a norm now to see three wide receivers on the football field and and teams in shotgun on third and one and and you know short yardage situations throwing the football uh, because it's hard to cover and then the rules also I think play a, b a big role in how they are structured for teams to score and you know defenses are at such a huge disadvantage with pass interferences I mean you get 50 yards just like that um, uh, if, if you touch a guy wrong so 
Um, everything is is geared towards throwing the football and scoring points, and, and you see teams and how they've evolved with their offenses. It's really cool to see. I mean, I wish looking at it now, I'm like, man, I wish I would have played in some of these offenses. It's really cool how they're diagramming things and um, how you know going out there with three rides is just uh, just the norm now. Yes, being Lafayette. So, uh, one more thing on sort of the slot, and well, maybe not so much the slot as as chemistry. I know. Peyton Manning is one of your best friends, and you guys spent a lot of years together on the field. I was I was in a debate last week with a guy who was who co-hosts with me on one show a week, and it was about the chemistry between a quarterback and a receiver, and how it 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 can bring something that's good to great, right? Like I I feel like I know that Jamar Chase doesn't really play in the slot, and Cooper Cup does, but I but I feel like if Jamar Chase was was in L.A and Cooper Cup was in Cincinnati, that they would not have the same production. They'd both still be good, but that chemistry between Chase and Burrow, just years of reps, right? And I, I get that it's Stafford's first year in L.A., but you know, reports are he and Cooper are, like, inseparable. I mean, they're really close. They spend a ton of time together throwing the ball, constantly doing reps, even when it's not at practice, not on the field, during the offseason, as soon as he – you know, before the trade even went through because it was announced that he was going to be traded, but it couldn't be finalized to the league year start, they were already getting reps in. When you have chemistry, friendship between quarterback and receiver, how big of a difference does that make on the field? And I guess I'll ask the follow-up now. Are, are other players on a team maybe, do they ever feel somewhat envious or, or left out when it comes to that kind of, I guess, kinship? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, chemistry is huge. Trust. Quarterbacks got to trust you as a receiver to do what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of stuff is going on back there. It's easy to sit on our couch and watch these quarterbacks and throw the football, and it looks easy, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how did he miss that throw? And, um, but I, whenever you stand right behind a quarterback and you see the chaos, the chaos that's going on out there, you, you, you kind of develop a whole new respect for these guys and, and how they're able to do certain things. I mean, and, and so they have to trust you as a wide receiver, and, and that just doesn't happen because you're friends. I mean, you got to go out there and work. you got to communicate it. Um, but I don't know. i got to disagree with you there. I think if Jamar Chase was with the Rams, you know, him and Stafford would be great. Cooper Cup is a complete stud. I mean, he's like a running back when he gets the football in his hands, and the way he runs route, he's so tough. Um, and if he was with Joe Burrow, I just think because they're workers, you know, they're workers. And, and when you're smart football players, like all four of those are, you know, you'll find a way to, to get that trust. Now it, it takes some time sometimes, obviously, and it takes work. Um, uh, but certainly I think, um, you know, it starts on the practice field. That's where I learned it from Peyton, you know, it's just work, hard work. And it starts on the practice field and it starts with communication in the film room. Hey, this is how I want you to run this route. This is how I want you to do this. And then you got on the practice field and you work. I mean, you know, like uh, Devontae Adams said, it, it wasn't half-speed reps and half-speed routes with, with Peyton Manning, you know, on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. I mean, it was full speed. And so Sunday comes, and it's just like second nature. You've done it over and over again. He trusts you. He knows where you're going to be. And if you break that trust, guess what? Someone else is coming in for you. So, um uh, but th- but that's really where it starts is on the practice field and in the film room and just communicating about certain looks and certain things and how the quarterback wants things to be done. So you feel like the the numbers would still be there if you swap teams that the chemistry's good and the you know the, the 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 continuity is good, but it's more or less you put those guys together, swap them out because of the work ethic, they would have figured it out one way or the other. 
Yeah, I mean, when you got great talent like those two guys, you know, I mean, Jamar Chase, I mean, you saw him a couple of weeks ago take that little in route and, uh, you know, go 60 with it and just run by the defense. It might have been against the Chiefs the first time they played him. And, um, you know, it's just like, wow. I mean, the guy is just so talented, deep balls and the way he's able to go get it. Quarterbacks look at that and say, wow, this guy's making plays for me. You know what? I trust him because he's making plays for me. Now, the other little things take some time. Uh, but, yeah, they're just so talented. I mean, you can put Cooper Cup anywhere, and he's going to have success, and whoever his quarterback is is going to go to him because, you know what, those guys watch film. Those guys want to be successful. They see that you're open, and, they, and you start making plays for them. That's how you start getting that trust. And uh, But certainly, you know, those, those two, when you look at a Burrow and Chase, I mean, the, the reps that they've had certainly certainly help over the years from college um, and that trust factor that was built there. I mean, that, that certainly helps. But when you're a stud, you know, when you're great, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, I mean, you could put them on any teams. They were going to be great. Now, certainly with Peyton Manning, it was a whole other level. Uh, but greatness is greatness. ESPN Lafayette, best taken in sports. To be clear, I, I, I think they both would have been very good. Um, and, and as you put it, great. You know, I think they're two of the best in, in the league. Uh, and. You know, Stafford and, and Burrow, looking at those two guys, when you're a receiver tied in, basically when you're just on their team, um, knowing they're, they're both tough. I mean, people say whatever they want about Stafford. That dude has played through some hard injuries in his career. Yep. And Burrow, I mean, we, I, I've seen that guy get the you-know-what kicked out of him, and he gets up it just unless, you know, except when his knee was torn apart, he gets up every time and just seems to go harder. So as a receiver, Brandon – I mean, look, not all quarterbacks are created equal. We know that. And in the NFL, you either got, you know, an elite one, a great one, a good one, an average one, and everything below that. As an offense, as a receiver, when you've got a guy that's great at quarterback, when you've got a guy that's, you know, growing, assimilate, let's just say below average, does that change your mindset at all on game day? Does it change how you play? And I don't necessarily mean you're, you're not playing as hard, but obviously the game plan is different. Like, how do you maintain that focus as a receiver and just kind of go into the game with the right kind of mindset, knowing, yeah, it's going uh, to be tough sledding today offensively because, you know, we're, we're, this guy's just not there yet. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, it, it certainly makes sense. I think as a player, you know, you, what's important to you? You know, you're trying to win football games. Are you about the team? Or are you about the individual? Um, and, you know, you have to understand certain situations. All situations are different. You know, if you have a young quarterback, a quarterback that's trying to grow and develop, well, guess what? It, you know, you might not be, you know, throwing and, and putting up, you know, 350 yards, 400 yards through the air week in and week out. You're, you're going to have some down days. You just have to know the situation, and every situation is unique and different. And especially when you got young quarterbacks, it's a hard job to do. So, you know, certainly I've been in, in, in kind of both situations where I've played with young quarterbacks that have struggled, and I've been in one of the best situations ever uh, playing for Peyton Manning. And I think it's just the belief that you have when you have one of those guys like Peyton Manning that you're never out of the football game. You always have a chance. You always feel like you're prepared. He's going to put you in the right plays and the right situations. With young guys, you know, there's going to be some, some moments where you're just kind of scratching your head because they, they missed the blitz and they threw some balls into – uh, double coverage where they shouldn't throw. And that's just part of the process. But I think it's just you individually being a competitor sometimes, going out there and, and not being concerned with how many catches or yards you have, but going out there and doing your job, you know, regardless of what the quarterback situation is. You have a job to do. 
that's kind of the way I always approached it was, you know, I was, I was fighting to have a job the following week, the next year. And so uh, I had to control what I had to control. You know, football is a team sport, but individually you have to control what you have to control and you have to go out there and I'm competing against the guy in front of me. And I, you know, my quarterback doesn't throw it to me. That's fine. But I, I still want to get open and I want to put that on film. Brandon Stokely, our guest. This is ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. What uh, how would how would you describe yourself as a blocker in your your 15 years from that position? The, the blocking aspect of a wide receiver, from the from for the average fan, is the least thought about thing. Honestly, I mean, I remember, you know, covering the Saints the way we do. Brandon Coleman was a guy. He wasn't on the team. He was on the team for about three years, and he would drop a lot of passes. He would frustrate folks. He'd be, oh, why does he play? I'm like, well, he's he's blocking. I mean, that's, that's one thing he's doing. Um, how would you describe your blocking as a receiver during your career? Was it something you you embraced? Was it something you enjoyed? Was it something you thought you were good at? Did it did it evolve as you played? You uh, your your blocking skills as a pro, Brandon. How would you describe them? No, I didn't enjoy it. Of course not. <laughs> you know, I'm like six foot, 195 pounds. I didn't enjoy blocking. Um, uh, that wasn't like the thing that I loved to do. And especially when I was playing in the slot. I mean. Sometimes you had to go dig out the linebacker, oh, yeah. and, and if the safety drops down, you know, in the box, you got to go dig that safety out. So it wasn't like, um, you know, you're blocking uh, 175 pound DBs most of the time. So that's not the most fun thing to do. You know, I just I just tried to give great effort, have great technique. Uh, you know, there's certain things that you can do depending on where the run plays going to to help yourself out as a receiver. And you know, I was never going to pancake a guy. Uh, for the most part, uh, but it's all about having technique, giving effort, and and that's what I try to do. You know, just kind of be feisty and give effort, and and have you know pay attention to the details. And sometimes the details can can help you out when when maybe you're not the the, the you know the strongest guy out on the football field. So that that's really what I try to do because you know running the football is a big part of the game, and you have to be a part of it as a receiver. And I really you know, learned that in Baltimore, and it really carried over to Indy. We had an offensive line coach, um, the the late Howard Mudd, that was, you know, a stickler for that. And um, So I, I did. I took pride in my, my run blocking, certainly. Um, and I just tried to give great effort, uh, like I said, because it's a big part of the game, big part of, you know, helping your running back out who's your teammate. And as a slot receiver, you know, you're close to where usually that ball is going to be run in, in the inside. And so you're a big part of the run game. I, there, you've got to have a story in there somewhere about when you tried to block someone, and before the play, you're like, "All right, I'm just, I'm just gonna make the sign of the cross. I'm gonna use right technique, but uh, how, how am I gonna get? Like, who was the hardest player you ever had to block? Well, there was a few linebackers out there that walked over me um, and walked out, and you know, my, I, it was a preseason game. I think in my first or second year, and, um, and we were playing the Carolina Panthers in the. Uh, Kevin Green, who used to be for the Pittsburgh oh, Steelers yeah. linebacker, big linebacker. Rest in peace. He was he was with the Carolina Panthers at this time towards the end of his career, but he was just huge and massive. And um, he walked out over me in, in the slot, and I'm like, "Are you, are you kidding me? I got I got to block this guy. Uh, this is not going to be fun." So you know, I go to block him, and he just you know kind of uh, WWE style just arm tosses me out of the way, and I'm like, you know, we're over scheduled here, uh, Coach. Come on, I mean. You know that you got to scheme something up better than than having me try to block Kevin Green in this situation. Uh, so that was one of them. I mean, there was a few of them, um, but that was uh, one one of the more memorable ones. 
Brandon Stokely, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. I love the old stories from your career. When you play as long as you did, Brandon, it's cool because on one hand, earlier in your career, you, you're playing with some guys that were – I mean, Kevin Green's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend, right? Rest yeah. in peace. And you got guys that you, you saw play. I mean, I want to say, you know, Reggie White was still in the league. And now, you know, in your last year, you play with guys that are still in the league today. So you, you got to – you could probably write a book about the number of stories you have uh, and maybe some stories you would want to share and some you wouldn't, but that, um, you know, just what's, what's the, the, the hardest hit you ever took? I know I've, I've asked you this before, but do you remember it? Like in the slot, you got to be fearless because you're making big plays, but you also at times can take some big hits. What was the, the hardest hit you ever took? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a few of them, obviously running across the middle, you get, you get, you know, hit up pretty good. I mean, I took a, I took a big hit at UL um, over the middle against Oklahoma State. Um, that that was a, a pretty big shot. You know, back then there was no targeting or anything like that, and took a big shot in in, in that game. Um, but there was a a playoff. I think it was a playoff game against uh, the Patriots in in the snow, and I was in the middle and I made a move and I was I was wide open and I thought it was a catch and home run shot. You know, usually you kind of well, I, I would kind of have an idea or awareness of where those safeties were and you could kind of brace yourself for certain hits you know if the ball was thrown not really out in front of you and in this situation I I I thought it was catching home run I didn't I didn't realize the safety um uh, didn't get as wide as I thought he would and I caught the ball in stride and you know I was going to take it 20-25 more yards for a touchdown and the safety just came right when I caught the ball and uh, took a big shot that was that was a big one as a, as a slot guy, you uh, you found yourself in a situation in Denver, a play that memorable play, right? You beat the Bengals season over. I've asked you about it before because you, you told me stories about your kids didn't really care all that much about your playing career, but one time you like walked in and it was like a Madden game, and they were like showing the play at the beginning and like the montage, and Gus Johnson is going crazy. In terms of like that play, which was just. You know, the ball gets tipped, you take it to the house, you guys win, you know, an improbable victory. Is that the most memorable play of, of, of your – what's the most memorable catch? Was it the Super Bowl? Like, what is the one single play you're like of all of them, college, pro, whatever, this one is is number one on the list? Well, I think, you know, I live here in Denver. I do radio here in Denver. So the most people around here bring up the, the tip pass against Cincy. Um, you know, that's that's the play that you're talking about. Uh, you know, open the season. We're on the road. We haven't scored a touchdown, and it, this thing is looking um, like a like a loss for sure. And you know, the ball gets tipped up in the air. We're we're at like the I don't know 13 yard line, and uh, you just third and long, and or fourth and long. I forgot one of those third or fourth and long, and you just don't see a play like that um, because the defenses are playing so soft and conservative. But uh, you know, three or four guys went to where the ball was thrown, and the ball just kind of pops up and. And I'm just watching in the air thinking, oh, my gosh, is this is this real? Then I caught it, and I'm just shocked. That, I'm like, where is everybody at? Where's the defense at? I mean, this can't be possible that uh, that they're playing prevent defense, but nobody's around me, and that ball seemed like it was up in the air for 10 seconds. And I just caught it and started taking off running, and um, there was a linebacker that was chasing me, and, and I got close to the goal line, and I kept on looking behind me, and I saw that uh, the guys had kind of stopped chasing me, and that's when I started – 
that's when I decided to take it down the end line of the goal line there um, and, and, and try to waste some more clock before I went to the end zone. But I think that's probably the uh, most play that uh, people talk about around here for me. If I was back in Baltimore, it'd probably be the Super Bowl uh, touchdown. Um, but, you know, I, I spent four years in Baltimore. I was uh, four years in, in Indy. I was four years in, in, in Denver. So I kind of bounced around a few different spots. So it kind of depends on where I am what people probably remember me for and what, what catch. But for me, the, the coolest and most unique catch, um, you know, my most memorable catch was, was Super Bowl. I mean, you can't beat that. It's the Super Bowl biggest stage, but um, kind of the coolest one was definitely that tip pass. Brandon Stokely, our guest. Yeah, the, you know, I guess when you're in Lafayette, folks will bring up your time with the Cajuns. You're the all-time, leading, uh, all-time leader in, in receptions and reception yardage and all that good stuff. But uh, maybe they just bring up what, what, you know, Peyton Manning loves to, to blame Jake DeLome on, and that's you miscommunicating in the swamp in Gainesville for Jake to throw you, what, a go route, and you run a totally different route. And basically, Jake just threw up a lob to Fred Weary for a pick six, and he says that, that any time he's with you and Peyton Manning, Peyton just makes fun of him the whole time, knowing full well that was your fault. Well, well, Jake threw a bad throw. I mean, you know, <laughs> he wants to blame me and – um, this and that, but Jake, Jake just threw an awful throw and, and, you know, all of a sudden I get all the blame for it. And, um, you know, he doesn't want to take any fault. He, that's, that's kind of, that's what Jake did a lot. You know, he always threw me under the bus and, um, uh, you know, so not nah, just kidding. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a fun play and Peyton loves that story. That's a, that's a good story. We were there in the swamp and I was fired up to be there, you know, playing in front of, I don't know how many thousands of people, 75, 80,000 people, and the place was rocking to open up the season. And uh, I was fired up, and uh, Jake thought I was giving a hand signal. I was getting the crowd fired up. I was ready to rock and roll, and he threw a fade pattern, and I ran the the, the, the hook, the curl route. And, uh, yeah, Fred Reary was under it like a punt, and it was a pick six, and Jake was not happy with me on the sideline. And But it's a funny story now. We laugh about it, and that's uh, – that's definitely one of Peyton's favorites because he said, he said, you know, they always played Florida after us, and he was watching the film, and he just couldn't understand what went wrong on that play, like what happened on that play. So we, me and Jake would go to the Manning Passing Academy, and, and uh, Peyton was like, I got to know, guys. You, you got to tell me what happened. And, and of course, DeLome um, cussed me up and down and, and, and said how bad I, I screwed him over on that play. And, and that's a story now whenever we all get together um, – Peyton loves to tell, and it's it's a, it's a good story. It's a fun story, but it, it it is a true story. I did let Jake down. What what what's your favorite memory? You know, I know you got to play for your your father, uh, the late great Nelson. What's what's your favorite memory of your college days? Oh wow, so many. You know, I grew up around that program and a lot of those coaches, and then you know, my late in my high school career, you know, I'm on the sideline, and Orlando Thomas, you know, was a hero to me, and. And Jake, you know, his freshman year starting and playing as well as he played and uh, just being around Brian Mitchell um, and what a great football player and how tough he was. Uh, uh, all those memories are great. But my time there, you know, my five years there was, you know, just being able to spend, see my dad day in and day out um, was, was really memorable. You know, his coaching, that coaching lifestyle, um, you know, there wasn't no private jets back in the day. It was, they were driving everywhere, grinding, and so – um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't around, um, as much, uh, as he would like to be. So to be able to see him day, day in, day out for five years was awesome, but just the teammates, 
you know, DeLome and, I mean, just so many, Damon Mason and just so many great, great teammates. And, um, you know, it didn't, the last couple of years weren't, um, wins and losses weren't, weren't memorable, uh, certainly, but, um, the guys that we had on the, on the football team, that, that's, that's what you take away. And that's what I look at. And, you know, obviously had some good wins there, you know, beating Texas A&M, how memorable that game was. And, you know, at our place and I was there for, you know, those Texas A&M games, you know, back in the, you know, early nineties, late eighties or whenever they were. And I would go to that, those games in college station and travel with the equipment managers, Lynn Williams and, and the equipment staff. And, and so I was there for some of those games. And so to be able to get Texas A&M finally at our place, finally, after all those years and, and then to beat them, I mean, you, you just can't top that. So, but so many great memories because I grew up around that program and, uh, and those coaches. And, uh, so it was, uh, it was just a dream come true and a true blessing for me to be able to spend five years there. Aside from your, your father, who is the best coach you ever played for? Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I had so many great ones, you know, it's hard to, to say one person. Um, it really is. I mean, I had some great ones in college, Ron Brown, Gerald Broussard, um, you know, Doug Furch. Uh, but when I got to the NFL, I had a great wide receiver coach, the late Milt Jackson, uh, with the Ravens. It's kind of taught me how to be a pro. Um, but if I had to, if I had to say one, if you're going to make me say one, I'd say Clyde Christensen, my receiver coach with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, he is now the, uh, quarterback coach for Tampa Bay um, and, and Tom Brady the last couple of years. Uh, he was the office coordinator for the Colts. He coached quarterbacks um, for the Colts also for a little bit. Uh, but he his technique work and his drill work um, and how, um, you know, he just taught us. I really learned how to be a route runner. And and Peyton certainly was, was, was a big part of that, attention to detail. But um, just the type of person that he – he was and the type of person that he is um you know it's not all about just being a football coach it's how you relate to your players and um i learned a lot from him you know off the football field and 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 how he was able to relate to players but also he was just a great coach and um and really that's where my game you know in the nfl kind of I became, you know, I took it to the next level, and um, but I learned a lot um, when it when it comes to uh, football and and how to run routes and how to get open and the drill work and then the type of commitment and work ethic that it took to be a successful wide receiver. That was from uh, Clyde Christensen. Brandon Stokely, our guest, Louisiana Raging Cajun Hall of Famer, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. Uh, I got a few more questions for you, Brandon. If you don't mind sticking around, it's Super Bowl week. We're visiting. With two-time Super Bowl champ Brandon Stokely, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Uh, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You know, Brandon, this is a question I've asked. I think everyone I've had on, but I, I've never asked you. What is your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? <laughs> I like the one that you were just playing. Sabotage. Uh, uh, Fight for Your Right to Party is a good one. I mean, they, they got some, some classic ones. Um, so, 
uh, I, I'll go with that one. Um, but but I mean, Beastie Boys, obviously, you can you can just put on the the it, pretty much any of them and, and and rock out. So love the Beastie Boys. Love that you're coming in with them. Uh, so it's uh, it's a great way to to start a start a segment. That's for sure. Yeah, man. Every segment in and out. Uh, I think yeah. I think Jake Delhomme said sabotage. Billy Napier sabotage. Usually it, it depends on like the age range, you know, like I'll ask a current UL player. And of course they're like, I, I have no idea who that is. Never heard of them. Like, <laughs> like they're in the, the rock and roll Hall of fame. They're like, yeah, nothing. Right. You ask, you know, people our age in our forties and they've all got strong opinions and various ones, but it, it all depends. I mean, like I was talking to Jonathan Vilma last week. I'm like, do you have one? He's like, no. I mean, can you give me like a few of their names? And I, he's like, okay, I'll just go with that. Right. So it's always great, um, the reaction. But uh, before I let you run, Brandon, I appreciate you taking the time as always. I do want to ask you a little bit more about this Super Bowl coming up. Rams, uh, Bengals, who do you like in this game and, and, and why do you like them? Well, I mean, Cincy, uh, what a remarkable story. You know, is this going to be one of those uh, fairy tale kind of stories? Cincinnati, you know, goes on this historic run and, and actually wins a Super Bowl, you know, or is it just like, are they just on a mission this year and it's just going to happen that way? Um, Joe Burrow's playing so great and uh, Jamar Chase, they got weapons defensively. What they were able to do in the second half against the Chiefs was just flat out remarkable. Um, I look at the Rams and, and I give the edge here to the Rams and, and I say that because they're front four. And if there's Achilles Hill for Cincinnati, it's that offensive line. They Burrow got sacked nine times against the Titans a couple of weeks ago. They played better against the Chiefs, but you're talking about a fast surface uh, in L.A. Um, and you got Von Miller. You got the best defensive player in the game, and Aaron Donald. You got Leonard Floyd. I mean, they got pass rushers that can just flat out get after you. So, since he's going to have to do a good job of protecting Burrow, they're going to have to mix in that screen game, which you did see a couple of times, and you saw in their first touchdown the screen game there uh, to P. Ryan uh, against uh, Kansas City. So. Um, but I just think that defense for the Rams has a recipe to slow down Cincy. And then offensively, I mean, those guys got firepower all over the place. You see Odell now uh, and, and how he's starting to look like he's getting comfortable. The trust factor between Matthew Stafford and Odell uh, is there now. It, it takes time, and, but you're starting to see him look comfortable, him playing his best football now this year in L.A., uh, and that's a great compliment to Cooper Cup. So offensively, uh, I think they can put up enough points, and then defensively, they, they I think they have the recipe to slow down Cincy. So I'm going with the Rams in this one, and I, I you know, I got the Rams winning. Um, I'm, I'm going to say the Rams win uh, by double digits, ten points plus. Well, Cincinnati, I, I didn't expect them to win in Kansas City, and they somehow did it. They they keep they keep figuring out ways to win, and and sometimes I'm left after a game like wondering, like, how did they just do that? You know. Um, am I going to be saying that again Sunday night? Because I'm, I'm kind of with you. Just on paper, Brandon, it's it's hard to see how they do it, but yet they they somehow keep doing it. So uh, yep. I'm, I'm I'm happy for that city. You know, certainly that fan base. And um, man, I mean, Burrow is is a tough son bitch. He just he keeps figuring out ways. He he's going into this game knowing that he's going to get hit like a lot. Like it's it's going to happen. Do you limit the mistakes? I. My thing is, like, if the Rams win, I think I'm with you. I think it's double digits. But if it's a close game at the end, I, I trust the Bengals a little more than I trust the Rams. That The end of that uh, Niners-Rams game, it was almost like 
the two coaches, like Shanahan's blown, like he's a great coach, a great coach. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this to dog him, but the reality is, you know, you look at the last four postseason games where a team had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter and lost, and, and he's attached to three of those four. Like it, it, McVay has shown some of those challenges. It's like, man, what? It, it, they kind of get tight is my point. So if it's close late, I like Cincinnati, but if a team's going to win double digits, it's it's got to be the Rams, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I think you're spot on. I mean, McVay was awful. I think McVay almost lost them the game. And McVay was awful the last Super Bowl they were in against the Patriots. I mean, what, they scored like three points? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, look, he's got to be much better, certainly. But you're right. You know, I mean, who do I trust more when in the fourth quarter if it's a close football game, Burrow or Stafford? It's Burrow. Um, and, you know, he didn't beat the Chiefs with his arm. He beat the Chiefs with his legs. You know, a couple of those third-down scrambles that he made there late in the football game were just unbelievable. I mean, it was Houdini on one of them, broke three tackles or whatever. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So the moment's not too big for him. It never has been. In and it won't be. So if it's a close game, I'm with you. I, I, I like I like Cincy and uh, to be able to find a way to pull it out. I mean, how, how do they come back from 21 to three against Kansas City in Kansas City? I mean, I, I, I thought Kansas City was going to beat them double digits, and it looked like it. And then next thing you know, there's Joe Burrow. So you got to bury those guys if you got a chance at the L.A. Uh, but McVay certainly uh, he needs to do much better. Uh, that was a, a an awful job by him. Uh, in the NFC Championship game. But if it's a close game, I'm with you. I, I give the edge there to Joe Burrow and Cincy. Yeah, and I know you're in Denver covering the Broncos on a daily basis. I know that's where you live and your family lives. Um, in the in the AFC West, when you got Mahomes in Kansas City and now Herbert in, in, in L.A. with the Chargers, I still will always want to say San Diego. We'll see what happens with Derek Carr next. Maybe he's back in Vegas. But – with Denver, what do you make of their their coaching hire, and does it really just does their future in your mind just come down to to finding out who is going to be their QB more than anything else? Yeah, you know it comes down to that position really. If you don't have one, you really um, don't have a chance. I mean, you might get lucky one year if everything's perfect, but man, you need a quarterback to win in the NFL. I mean, that's just the, consistently that's just the bottom line. And and the Broncos haven't had one since Peyton Manning left, and. You know, hence they've uh, had what five? I think since 2017, have had uh, losing seasons. So it's it's been a struggle. You got to find a quarterback. You know, a lot of fans around here are praying that um, it's Aaron Rodgers and and the Broncos can get him. Uh, obviously, his offensive coordinator is the head coach now, Nathaniel Hackett. So we'll see. I mean, really, Nathaniel Hackett's going to be only as good as his quarterback is. So. Got to find a quarterback. They didn't go for a quarterback last year in the draft. Will it be Aaron Rodgers? Will it be possibly Russell Wilson? Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it how it shakes out. But certainly, you need to find that quarterback. Yeah, if you got one, you can uh, you can win. I think. You know, I with Brady now gone, I, I look at the NFC South as like not a lot of great quarterbacks there. I guess it's Matt Ryan at this point, but Ryan's you know older, and and even this year with the Falcons, he wasn't all that great. Man, they're but it, it depending on the division you play in too, right? Because <laughs> with the Broncos, you know, if it's a division where, all right, no team really has great quarterback play right now, then you could kind of lean on defense and, you know, you probably bow out in the postseason at some point. But in that division, right. man, I mean, Denver, I, I get why they'd put all their chips on the table for a Rodgers or a Wilson. And that Rodgers smoke, it's kind of been there for a while. You know, that's been the chatter last off season and, 
I don't think he's going to be with the Packers next year. And I guess at this point, if if you had to pick the team at the top of the list, if it's not Green Bay, I think it would be Denver. And if that happens, you instantly go from you know uh, the bottom of the of the division to to a Super Bowl contender. That's just that position, Brandon. In today's game, you know, it was different back when you won your first Super Bowl. No disrespect to Trent Dilfer. I, I actually think he kind of gets disrespected too much. He was he was better than people give him credit for, but games change, man. If you don't have a QB, then you're just, you know, you're just hoping you can get one at some point, whether it be via trade, draft, or even free agency. But if you don't have one, you're probably not winning much. No, you're exactly right. I mean, the way that the NFL has set this up and the rules and the regulations and all these different things that they have going on now, uh, it's set up to throw the football and score points. You know, and and there, there's rules in play. You can't touch a quarterback's head. You can't touch a receiver. Or, you know, pass interference, 50 yards. I mean, so it's set up to throw the football and score points. And if you don't have a quarterback to take advantage of the way the game is set up right now, you're already behind the eight ball. And then um, you see what defenses are doing now. And you know, there, I mean, there's I mean, speed over there, and you got different looks and schemes and all these different things. I mean, you got to have a guy that can process information and and get it done uh, behind the center. If you don't have one, you just really don't have a chance. You know, Maybe you get that one off and you get lucky and you get to playoffs, uh, but, but you know, it's, it's just hard to win it off. You don't have that guy under center that can go out there and get it done and score points. You know, this isn't a league where you know, you're seeing these 10-7 football games, 13-10 football games. You've you got to be able to score points in this league to win football games. Brandon Stokely. All right, last uh, last three questions, and then I'll let you run, man. We always appreciate you taking the time on Super Bowl week to talk to us. Uh, I mean, your, your boys with Peyton, why is it Brandon Stokely on the Manning cast? I mean, come on. You, you're, a, you're a media personality. What, what is he, why is he jipping you? Come on. I, I think you should give him some heat here. Well, Scott, you know, I've been really busy on Monday night. So, you know, he, he's, he's called and offered a few times, but uh, my calendar my calendar's just been so full. I just, I just tell him that, you know, get back to me probably next year. Maybe when you'll have it next year, maybe I'll open some things up for you and, and, and find some time for you. But right now I'm just too busy. Um, no, I don't, you know, Scott, I don't know. I don't, look, the guy I'm telling you, I, I, I'm like, Hey, you know, all of a sudden I thought we were good friends, but you know, he gets his Manning cast and his big, his big TV guy now, you know, and not doing all these <laughs> cool things, him and Eli and, uh, you know, you, they forget about their friends, you know, like, man, we've been friends forever. And now they're getting the rock on and Snoop Dogg and it's Roger Goodell and, you know, all these big Gronkowski and uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you, you forget, forget about your true friends, you know, all of a sudden you just throw us aside and I'm here, man. I'm here. I'm open. I'm available. Uh, but you know, I'm not happy about it. Yeah. I mean, I just, they're sitting there talking to Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, and I'm like, "Where's Where's Brandon Stokely?" And right. they were cursing. I mean, give the people what they want, Scott. I mean, right? America America want. wants more Stokely. I mean, that's it. I I did a study, <laughs> and and it was overwhelmingly more Stokely is good. <laughs> at least, hey, at least they could. You're not playing anymore, so like the 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 Manning cast curse, it couldn't affect you, right? Because that was rolling right. for a little while. Everyone would go on the show, they'd lose their next game. So it was funny. I, it was funny. I brought it up to them um, before it kind of became a thing. I'm like. Like, hey, man, you see these, you know, because it's early in the season. Like, the last two guests that you've had here, after you they've come on with you, they have not done well. 
And then it kind of continued, and it became a theme of of the Manning cast curse, which uh, I think is pretty funny. Um, and but yeah, I mean, I, it can't really hurt me. I don't know. Maybe I have a poor performance doing radio the next week. Um, yeah. Is the worst maybe yeah. that could happen to me. So I'm willing to take the chance. Uh, let's let's make it happen. Uh, we got it. We got to get Stokely on the Manning cast. You talk about good friends. Uh, your good friend Jake Delome. I, I talked to him a few days ago. He said. Make sure you tell Brandon that uh, he's put you down for the, the, the golf tournament to support <laughs> UL football April 14th. He said, look, he's got to support Dez, his alma mater. He said, make sure you tell him that I've already penciled him in. So I just want to let you know you're already down for it. Well, I know Jake had texted me, uh, me and Peyton at the same time. And, um, you know, he said he told me not to back out of it. I said I never committed to it. You know, <laughs> look, I mean, I, I'm over here in Denver. It's not like it's an hour drive away. I got a family. I got stuff going on. I got to work, and and he's telling me not to back out. And uh, but Jake's the best. You know, he he was so much fun to uh, to to be a teammate with. He was and, and when you look at quarterbacks, maybe you didn't have I don't know the best arm. But but he he was just such a competitor, and he was going to find a way to get the job done. And that's what you loved about Jake DeLome. He had energy, he had passion, and he was a stinking competitor. And uh, you love having a quarterback like that. Uh, and and it was just it was it was a blast to be teammates with him. We'd yell at each other, we'd fight a little bit, um, but it was all it was, it was all nothing but um, but but love. And because we all we just wanted to win so bad. And uh, those are the teammates that you love to have. You know, he was just the best. You see him around here, and it's it's I, it, Jake's cool, and it's always like, hey man, what's up? You know, a little chat here or there. People will see him and say, hey Jake, how you doing? In Charlotte, I mean, I've heard that that dude's like a rock star in Charlotte. Well, I mean, he should be. Uh, what he was able to do there, and um, you know how he was back up behind. I think it was Rodney Pete, and then yeah. he gets in yeah. there, and next thing you know, you know, I don't know, a year or two later, whenever it was, uh, that year, leading him to the. You know, it was that year? Wow, yeah, he's leading him to the Super Bowl, and uh, you know, if the kicker doesn't kick the stinking ball out of bounds um, after they tie that game up John with a great Casey. comeback. Yeah, um, you know, that, I mean, that just shows you who Jake is. I mean, Patriots had a great team; they got a great defense. And they were able to make that comeback and tie it up, um, just never say die uh, attitude. You know, I think I think they win that football game, and I think Jake's a Super Bowl MVP. So it's good to see that you know those people over there in, in Charlotte um, uh, appreciate him uh, because man, he was he was uh, you know a few minutes away from being a Super Bowl MVP. Yep, and and told Rodney Har- asked Rodney Harrison how his mom was doing too. I always enjoy that. Were you much of a trash talker when you played, or or were you more of a I mean, who am I asking? You're sitting there trying to pump up a, a Florida crowd on the road. Of course you talk trash when you played. I, I look, I like to jaw a little bit. I didn't mind it. Um, uh, so it just kind of depended on, on what was going on and what the situation was. I usually just didn't talk to talk, um, but certainly I wasn't going to back down from it. That kind of got me going a little bit, got the juices flowing. Um, so there was nothing wrong with a little bit of trash talk there and, uh, I, I enjoyed that, and, and certainly I would give it back. Well, it's it's why it's one reason I enjoy following you on Twitter. B Stokely one four is somebody says something dumb, you know, in a reply to you, you're not just like ignoring it. I mean, there's some you just have to ignore, but whenever it's too dumb or too personal, you're you're going right back at it. I uh, I enjoy following you on social yeah. media. Yeah, sometimes I, sometimes I I, I kind of I, I regret it the next day, um, but. But, you know, that's just like my grandfather told me when I got, you know, I got kicked out of a, uh, a game there when I was, the uh, Broncos were playing the Eagles. 
I accidentally grazed the, the referee's finger and I uh, got booted out of the game and I was talking to my grandfather and I was like, ah, that was the one phone call um, I really was, was dreading was calling my grandfather because and, and, I always talked to him after the game and um, and so we were talking. I was like, oh, Pawpaw, man, I'm so sorry. I don't know what got into me. He's like, boy, don't worry about that, boy. That's just that coon ass coming out in you. So sometimes the coon ass comes out in me. Uh, when I'm on Twitter, and I just can't help it. Hey, you can put the coon ass in altitude in the Mile High City, but you can't take the coon ass out of them. I mean, that's just that's just reality, Brandon. Got it. Uh, last thing for you, man. Uh, we talked about uh, Coach Desimo briefly there a second ago. Where, where, how do you feel about the your, your alma mater, Louisiana, right, finishing 16th? I think they probably should have finished higher in the polls, but longest winning streak in, in college football right now, 13 straight. Napier now in Florida. Dez takes over. How do you feel about the uh, the present and the future of your alma mater? I mean, how could you not love the present? Uh, Billy Napier, you know, what a four-year run that he had. I mean, it was just remarkable and just really was. So uh, wishing him nothing but the best. I think, you know, uh, everyone involved with that program is just, you know, so excited. And you can look at him and say thank you for all you did. And, and, and you know, I was surprised that he stayed as long as he did with the success that he had. So, Hopefully he goes to Florida and does a great job and, you know, really looking forward to the future. I love the continuity and consistency that the football program's able to, to sustain and to keep and, and to keep moving forward. So I love that. And look, I think the future is bright. Facilities are great. Um, they got a great foundation that they've laid down. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, what a great year they had last year. And, um, but just really looking forward to the future and, and, and continue to, to watch the Cajuns win football games. Brandon Stokely has been our guest. We do it every year, Super Bowl week. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at bstokely14. He, um, you know, he's been out of the NFL for a little while, and and ever since then, he decided he wanted to be just like me and, and get involved in radio. So, you know, as your mentor, Brandon, I appreciate you coming on this week. I'm kidding, of course, you know but uh, no, man, it's always fun. Uh, all the best to your wife, to the boys, and um, keep enjoying life, man, and uh, and give Peyton crap. Say when when is. When, when, when am I going to make time for you to be on your Manning cast? That's how it's got to go. Exactly. I think we need to start a petition. I'll do it. start a petition and get that thing rolling. So, yeah, I, I need to be the opener next year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I open the season. Let's get the 2022 season started off the right way on the Manning cast. I need to be the opener. They want ratings? What are they waiting for? I mean, you know. Exactly. It's I, right here. It's, it's right in front of their eyes. What it is is he's just afraid because he knows that you'll bring up some funny story. Then Eli's going to pile on. He just – He's just trying to save himself from embarrassment. That's what this is about. I think you're right. I think you're right. And also, I'll probably take the spotlight away from him a little mm-hmm. bit. You Big know? time. And I don't think he wants that either. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Appreciate it, Brandon. All the best, man. You got it, Scott. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.